This is the Clinical Takeaway podcast from HealthEd, where we interview leading medical experts on important topics that can positively change the way you practice. Here's your host, GP and medical educator, Dr. David Lim. HealthEd's face-to-face seminars are starting up again in 2022. And we hope that you will be able to join us for a day of high quality learning with a lineup of great speakers and important topics in women's and children's health. I'll be chairing a number of these events and I look forward to seeing you there. Register at healthad.com.au. Enapen is a second adrenaline auto-injector available in Australia. It is important for all GPs to understand the differences between EpiPen and Enapen and to identify and review the type of adrenaline auto-injector the patient needs, in particular patients who are at higher risk of requiring a second dose of adrenaline and also those who do not routinely carry both EpiPens with them. Please update the patient's anaphylaxis action plan with every prescription of anapen or EpiPen. Dr. Smith, tell us about yourself. I'm a clinical immunologist and allergy specialist, and uh, I work in private practice in the Royal Adelaide Hospital uh, Department of Clinical Immunology and Allergy, where I'm the head of the unit. William, we have had EpiPen as the only auto-injector in Australia for a very long time. So how important is it to have a new adrenaline auto-injector such as Enapen, and why is it important? Thanks, David. Look, I think there's at least two very strong and compelling reasons why this is an important development and welcomed by the allergy and anaphylaxis community. Firstly, the availability of a second type of auto-injector, I think is going to be very important because of the past history of shortages of supply of the previous uh, EpiPen auto-injector, which uh, created a great deal of um, distress amongst patients with anaphylaxis who were unable to update their prescriptions. In some cases, perhaps had used their device and were unable to replace it in a timely manner. And we were having to advise patients to continue to use the out-of-date or continue to carry the out-of-date EpiPens, which of course would be uh, a stopgap solution, but not best practice. So the availability of a second product on the market is uh, likely to lead to less, uh, well, much less likelihood of uh, shortage of supply, we were, we were certainly hoping. But the second and, and also very important reason is that the dose of adrenaline is now, uh, there's now a third option available, which is the 500 microgram dose. And we had actually been asking for that for a long time because it was always apparent that the dose that was available previously, the maximum dose of 300 micrograms, was not really appropriate for the treatment of uh, adults over 50 kilograms in whom the guideline recommended dose of adrenaline for the emergency treatment of anaphylaxis was always going to be 500 micrograms in all of the international guidelines. So it's generally considered that the dose should be 10 micrograms per kilogram up to a maximum of 500. So clearly there's a wide range of weight, body weights in adults uh, but certainly 500 was the, was the appropriate dose for uh, adults over 50 kilograms as a starting dose at least. So the availability of the third option in the 500 microgram, the third, third dose option in the 500 microgram dose, I think will be a, 
sort of potentially a game changer in the management of uh, anaphylaxis in the community. Willie, when I hear this um, important point, um, my first thought is, um, am I putting my patients on the 300 micrograms of EpiPen at risk if a person is over 50 kilograms? How should this inform me and how should it change the way I think and what must I do? Look, I think the fact that a newer and potentially better option is available doesn't mean that the old option is bad or wrong. I mean, we've been doing that for many years. I'm sure it's been very effective in treating many patients. And whilst the dose may be considered suboptimal, that doesn't mean that it's an ineffective dose of adrenaline. So I don't think there's an urgent need to immediately say that everybody who's on the, who carries an EpiPen 300 micrograms is, is underdosing and on the wrong dose. I think that's still an, an option that's available, but I think that there might, I, I personally would suggest that a better option might be that going forward, uh, adults uh, over 50 kilograms are more likely to be better prescribed with 500 microgram dose. The other thing to look at when considering this is whether a second um, dose of adrenaline from an ortho injector is likely to be required. And we know that the guidelines with the EpiPen have always suggested that a second dose could be administered uh, after five minutes if an inadequate response was observed from the first dose. And the question is how often was that required? But the actually the other relevant question to that is how often do people actually carry the second uh, adrenaline auto-injector? And the answer to that to the second one is not very often. Mm. It's often expedient or seen as convenient to carry one EpiPen and leave the second one at home. So the fact is that although a second uh, dose is sometimes recommended and might be more often required in the 300 microgram dose unit or dose form uh, that may not be available at all times. So the options there are that it would be advisable, I would say, to advise all patients who have a 300 microgram auto injector, all adults that is, to carry the second one with them at all times in case of requirement. Um, and the thing, the fact is that that may logically be less likely to be required in the 500 microgram dose unit. The other thing that's worthwhile mentioning is that there's, a, there's some fairly good studies done uh, both internationally and locally showing the frequency with which further adrenaline is required after the initial dose of adrenaline. And the fact is that in some studies looking at children, 15% or so required a second dose or further doses of adrenaline in the, in the emergency department. Uh, a recent study from Melbourne showed that in adults, 44% uh, required further doses of adrenaline in the emergency department. So that's a really important consideration. Uh, and that one can speculate that the, the initial dose given may not have therefore been um, adequate in that case. And that's less likely to be required with the 500 microgram dose. Those details that I just mentioned of which dose was the first dose given are not clear from the paper, but the clear, the clear point is that multiple doses of adrenaline are required in that, in that study in 44% of adults. Let, let's see if I can get this right in my head, because there are two competing uh, protocols and two com different products here. What you're saying to me, William, is that the 300 microgram adrenaline dose in EpiPens is actually not ineffective. It may be suboptimal, but it doesn't mean it's not effective. Right. However, it may be that in adults, they may require a second shot if you like, more likely to need a second shot. However, few adults carry their second auto-adrenaline injector right. with them. And so they put themselves kind of at risk in the sense that if they need it, it's not there. That's the correct chain of logic, yes. 
and that uh, if you use the 500 microgram shot, you may be less likely to need a second shot. And therefore, uh, even if you're carrying one pen, you're putting yourself at less, uh, if you like, a lower risk uh, because you might not need a second dose as much. That's, that's the argument. I mean, you could, you could argue that that's yet to be confirmed by empirical studies, but the, the Seneca logic is there. Uh, and the, the dose recommendation is certainly there for the, the, the higher dose. You can certainly deliver that higher dose with two of the 300 microgram auto injectors, mm -hmm. but one of the 500 microgram is probably probably the more optimal more optimal method. Because there seem to be two kinds of patients in the community now, um, the ones, the adult patients, those over 50 kilograms, still having an EpiPen that is still in date, or at least two EpiPens that are still in date, and probably some GPs already changing some of these groups of patients when they are due for a new script over to EpiPen. Do I see a position for GPs to look out for patients being prescribed adrenaline and ask the question, are your devices still in date? Is it an EpiPen? If it is, please always carry both pens with you. And when the date is, if you like, when the time has come for a new script, it is time for me to review which auto injector I need to prescribe you because you're over 50 kilos. Is that how I'm supposed to think? Well, I would agree that that's a very reasonable approach, yes. Now, having said that, there has also been a change, hasn't there, in, in the guidelines from Estia uh, regarding auto injectors. What are these changes and how, how does it impact upon GPs and patients? Well, the main change since February this year has been mainly to incorporate or include the 500 microgram auto-injector dose in the recommendations for the prescription to adults at risk of anaphylaxis. They haven't actually, the ASCII guidelines have not actually excluded the 300 microgram dose. And I think the reasons for that are pretty, pretty much amongst the reasons we've already talked about, that, that if, if the guidelines were to exclude the 300 microgram dose, that would imply that that is an incorrect or wrong dose. And I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case. Actually, this leads me to another subject that I think is really important to discuss here, and that is the use of the device and the training that's required to use the devices, which we haven't really touched on so far. And part of the reason why ASCII hasn't changed wholesale to the high, higher dose recommendation is that there's a lot of uh, existing legacy training on the use of the EpiPen as the auto-injector device that's the, has been the default until now, which has been the, the, the perfectly reasonable and logical approach to take when there's only one device available. And I think the, the, the thing is that it's a, seen as a bit of a daunting uh, issue to change everybody's habits who have been extensively and exhaustively trained. And that includes not just patients and families, but also first aid uh, uh, providers, emergency uh, physicians and uh, paramedics. So there's a bit of an exercise there involved in training them in the use of the new device. Now, to a certain extent, it may not be seen as essential to have perfect training in both devices. If you're changing from one to the other, then you can forget your training for the old device and training the new one. I actually have a few patients who continue to carry both devices at the moment, and they have to be very careful, and I've discussed it with them extensively, that they have to re remember the methodology because they're quite different in using both devices. I don't think that one is harder than the other. I think that they're both equivalently quite simple, in fact, to use, but there's no doubt that they are different in the activation of the injection. 
And so my advice to patients normally and to healthcare providers, particularly first, uh, sorry, emergency care providers, is that you look at the device carefully, you see if there's any instruction diagrams with the device and you follow the instructions with the device and bear in mind which device you're dealing with and try not to confuse the two, of course. So I think that take a second or two just to make sure you know which device you're dealing with and you've seen the instruction cartoon, which is on the device itself to, to indicate how it's used. And I think that's part of the reason that ASCII has uh, released uh, action plans, which include cartoons on the usage of both devices, the EpiPen and the Anapen auto-injectors. And so those are available. Uh, and so if you are prescribing the 500 microgram or indeed the 300 or 150 microgram Anapen for the first time, those action plans are available on the ASCII website, including cartoons and how to use the device. There's actually what I find a very handy thing, which is a separate cartoon on the use of the Anapen. Just the, what I mean by that is four panels just showing in diagrammatic form the usage of the uh, Anapen. And I think that's probably required because it is a less familiar device at this stage. And so I've been handing that out to patients as well when I've, when I've been changing their prescription. Coming back to the action plans, is it true that there are two different action plans that are based, if you like, upon the device that has been prescribed? And the second is that uh, as most GPs actually only have a black and white printer in our rooms, uh, that these action plans may need to be printed in colour. I don't know that that's a critical factor. I think that the cartoons are clearly stated and different for each of the auto-injectors and I don't know that they're dependent on colour. But it's a little, look, I, there's no doubt that it is a little more complex to have to bear in mind two different auto-injector devices. But I think that the fact is that those are what, that is what we have with us at the moment. I think the, the patients, in my experience, have been coping very well with the transition where that transition has been indicated. And a number of them who I've shown the devices say, oh, yes, this is quite simple, no problem, I'll do that. Uh, you know, changing over from one device to the other. So I think, uh, as I say, it's just a question of choosing which action plan to, go, to match the device and making sure that's correct. And then, uh, and hopefully the pharmacist may also be involved in checking that. And then we deliver the appropriate training. I think the two things that will really help GPs, uh, some like to watch, if you like, a video, a YouTube clip, and the other is to have a dummy pen that we can actually use and teach our patients on. So does anyone supply dummy uh, and a pens uh, for practice? Oh, yes. Look, I, don't, I couldn't tell you the exact method to obtain such a dummy pen. I've certainly got them in my practice. The, the, the company who sponsors the Anapen is certainly able to provide the trainer uh, pens. Uh, so I, I guess one, one would have to contact them uh, in order to do that. And I'm not in the business of <laughs> advising exactly how to contact commercial uh, entities for that, but they're, they're certainly all available and I'm sure it's available. There are also, as you said, videos on YouTube uh, for, for both devices, of course, uh, advising in very simple ways. And there is the QR code, I believe, on some of the material that comes with the Anapen, uh, which points patients in the direction of uh, instructional videos. Does Anapen offer any particular benefits for specific patients or patient groups? I guess there are two ways of approaching that question. One is the difference in device and the differences in terms of the usage of the device would not, I think, favor any particular patient group. The differences, there are actually small differences in the terms of the needle length. And that's been considered potentially a disadvantage of the Anapen, which has a slightly shorter needle length. 
Now, if you're dealing with a small child, that may actually be an advantage, you're less likely to give an intraosseous <laughs> injection with a slightly shorter needle. In an adult, that's seen as a disadvantage, but in fact, it's considered likely that the pressure applied to the injection itself counteracts the any short, shortages of the needle length so that the delivery of adrenaline has been shown to be similar to, uh, for example, a one-inch hypodermic syringe needle. So that the other answer to that question is that those who have been shown most likely to require a second dose of adrenaline uh, are the uh, older men, older males with bee sting allergy or and, uh, insect venom allergy. Uh, and those are the population that perhaps if you were going to select for early uh, review of their prescriptions would be the, the, the most at risk group, the ones most likely to benefit from the higher dose, the 500 microgram dose. I'd say one further step, which is not necessarily shown in the, in the second dose statistics of the study that I quoted from Alfred Health in Melbourne recently, but the, the deaths from anaphylaxis actually have been this year a few already in young adults with peanut allergy, uh, probably also with asthma. So I think that there are some groups who are probably at higher risk and perhaps would be targeted for the uh, larger, the, the higher dose auto-injector. I think that's a very important point. Do you mind just going through those lists again of all the higher risk patients so we can just fix it in our heads? Uh, so, so yes, well, objectively going by uh, the findings of the study from the Alfred in Melbourne, which was published last year, of 174 patients presenting to ED with anaphylaxis, those who are more likely to require a second dose are those uh, older males with insect sting allergy. Uh, and those are a group that are at high risk of cardiorespiratory uh, collapse from the uh, anaphylaxis reaction. Uh, not all anaphylaxis is equal, of course. There is such a thing as more severe and less severe anaphylaxis and the second dose requirement is in that demographic. But I'd also like to highlight another demographic, which is the young adults with food allergy, particularly peanut allergy. A number of deaths have occurred even already this year uh, amongst young adults with peanut allergy who are obviously accidentally ingest peanut, whether they uh, or haven't used their auto-injector correctly is, an, is, is obviously, but they're, they're particularly vulnerable and at risk group. That's really helpful. Uh, so I can actually just, Keep that in mind, and that will inform my practice. With the current COVID pandemic and the long times that ambulances are sometimes delayed uh, before arriving, even for uh, critical emergencies, what message should we give our patients who have been prescribed the 300 micrograms EpiPen, and how can we really help them change their habits and carry two pens at the same time. When I educate a patient in the carrying and use of their EpiPen, uh, I can't, when I come to the point of describing the potential requirement for the second EpiPen, uh, then I say to the patient that firstly, if they use the uh, adrenaline auto-injector and the signs of anaphylaxis have not begun to improve within five minutes, they should use the second one. But furthermore, if they do use their adrenaline auto-injector and there's any delay in the arrival of emergency services, for example, the first dose of adrenaline may potentially begin to wear off after 20 or 30 minutes. And that applies to patients who are in remote areas, of course, and traveling uh, remotely. And so I always advise patients to ensure they carry their EpiPen if they're in a remote area. But even around the town, as you've just pointed out, there can be considerable delay in the arrival of emergency services, perhaps not just 
the current COVID epidemic that certainly exacerbated the problem. So yes, that's a compelling reason to advise patients to always carry two of their adrenaline auto-injector devices with them. Uh, you've mentioned two time frames there, and I just want to get this right for all the GPs, both in urban areas and remote areas. So here's a very practical question. When a first injection has been given, how long do we wait before giving a second or third and why would we be doing that? Usually we would advise five minutes before, before you give the second injection. And I guess the reason there is that you don't want to necessarily give a second injection if it's not going to be necessary. And it can certainly take uh, easily at least five minutes for the first injection to take effect. But we've observed uh, you know, ourselves in managing patients with, a, with the anaphylaxis, that third, fourth and fifth minute, you do see the, the effect of the adrenaline taking hold. And if it hasn't been effective and the patient is still suffering the effects of anaphylaxis within, let's say, five or six minutes, uh, the second dose might be appropriate. And look, clearly one needs to use clinical judgment in all of these things. You know, your physician, you can judge how, the, how you feel the patient's progressing. But certainly uh, within two or three minutes would be too early to jump in with the second one, uh, unless you really think it's absolutely going to be necessary because the effect does obviously take a while to kick in. Well, thank you very much uh, for that, William. I'm not sure if I've missed any important points with regard to the uh, availability of two uh, adrenaline auto-injectors, um, the differences, when to use them, and what we need to teach GPs and patients. Are there any particular things that I might have missed? I think you asked earlier on when anaphylaxis action plans should be reviewed. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the point of time of the renewal of prescription is appropriate time to re review the anaphylaxis um, action plan. Specialists often would like to review patients with anaphylaxis uh, allergies uh, on a regular basis, but specialist review is not necessary uh, too frequently if the patient has you know, not had any major problems with their allergies in recent times. Having said that, look, one of the main things we see, and I think is probably an important point to perhaps finish off on, is that patients can become a little complacent if they haven't been exposed to their allergen uh, for a long time. Uh, and uh, that's the, probably the most important time that the GP can renew that information, renew the advice, emphasize, not, not create anxiety, obviously, but just emphasize safety uh, in terms of carrying the EpiPen and knowing how to use it and reviewing the methods of using it, making sure they've got the appropriate dose uh, you know, on a, on a regular basis, the prescription renewal is, you know, every 12 to, 12 to 24 months, depending on the expiry date of the uh, auto-injector device. And clearly that's an opportunity to remind the patient that they must uh, manage their, their allergic risk appropriately to avoid, uh, you know, disastrous outcomes. Sometimes patients do change GPs because they've moved um, jobs, moved cities. And in taking their past medical history, a GP realizes that the patient has had anaphylaxis in the past, and yet there are no uh, adrenaline auto injectors uh, in their current medication list. Um, the patient rejects the need for one because it's been so long, doctor, I'm sure I don't really have this problem anymore. What kind of discussion should we have then? 
Well, look, if there's a very strong history of anaphylaxis to food or insect stings um, in the past, then it's highly likely that the patient is still at risk. Uh, we do reassess those patients, and there's no doubt that some patients do either grow out of or lose their allergy, or perhaps the original history was inaccurate. So we do have, I see patients in my clinic who may give a history of anaphylaxis to a bee sting 20 or 30 years ago in whom all the tests are negative and, and who we believe are probably not at risk or not at significant risk in any case. But I think the default assumption should always be that there is risk there and that that should be managed appropriately. If you don't have an authorization for an EpiPen or an EpiPen auto-injector device prescription, then you may have to either discuss that with a, with a specialist or refer to a specialist. And often it is appropriate to reassess uh, through a specialist at that point in time, because clearly the patient probably will need you know, repeat testing to confirm that they're still allergic and obviously to go through all of the associated uh, factors. And for example, food allergies, you know, often there are associated factors that go along with that. Uh, and, and obviously insect-sting allergies, there are, one needs to consider all the comorbidities, et cetera. So I think um, at that point, Re thorough reassessment is probably advisable. Should every patient who has reported a anaphylaxis be referred to an allergy specialist for a workup anyway? Yes. Thank you. I hope that doesn't sound too self-serving, but I mean, it seems fairly obvious that that's uh, likely to be the case. I suppose if you say a patient, a case is straightforward, but really there's never a straightforward case of anaphylaxis. Uh, there's always associated factors and as their comorbidities and advice that is required uh, and obviously um, assessment. And actually one of the interesting things is we see patients, and not, 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 an not an insignificant number of patients who have an idiopathic anaphylaxis, you know, anaphylaxis with no trigger. Mm. Clearly that's something that uh, needs to be managed quite carefully. So I think the thorough investigation uh, and advice on management is clearly important and often uh, that's best delivered by a specialist and then carried through by the general practitioner. A patient arrives and complains that their lips were swollen, their eyelids were swollen, but they did not complain of any upper respiratory tract uh, symptoms. Would you refer these patients for a workup anyway? Well, I think the answer is yes. Now, there are multiple causes of the condition you described. Is it angioedema? Is it contact dermatitis? Is it a drug reaction? So, or is it a form first, if you like, of anaphylaxis, uh, you know, a, an initial form which subsequently could uh, lead to anaphylaxis? And, and so that is a, another example of where a workup would be uh, indicated to determine that patient's future risk. Now, I wonder, Dr. Smith, if you have any final messages to our GP listeners. Look, I just think in general, coming back to the, the origins of the original point of the discussion, uh, it's probably going to be a fairly significant paradigm shift to have another adrenaline auto-injector, having gotten so accustomed to the sole device being the EpiPen, and in fact, the EpiPen becomes the word for an adrenaline auto-injector in the community. And I think it's been hard even for us to stop using that and to go back to the generic term of adrenaline auto-injector. But I do think that we really do need to see the positive aspects of having more than one device available, as I mentioned earlier in the talk, and the also the aspects of the, the range of doses that are available. And the only downside is the fact that people are going to have to learn to administer a second device with a different method. The, the, the second device 
the NAPEN is a lot more difficult or complicated to administer, but it is different. And so that just needs to be taken into account. I thank you very much for your time, William. It's been highly informative. Welcome, it's my pleasure. Have a good day. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high quality lineup of speakers and topics that Health Ed has put together for you. Health Ed webcasts are carefully created to provide high quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.